All right, Adam, it's go time. You got this. Or do you? Do you really think you deserve to be on this stage? What makes you think you are good enough to stand in front of them like this? If they only knew the things you've done, if they knew your thought life, if they knew the way you talk to your kids, then they would never want you up here because you're a fake. You're a failure. It's who you are. Each and every day, there is a battle in our minds. There are games taking place where there are thoughts, lies from an enemy who is telling us that the things that we think and believe are different. This enemy is crafty. He is cunning. And we're we're told in John chapter 4 that his native language is that of lies. When he speaks, he speaks lies because he is the father of lies. He is crafty. He is cunning. And he realizes that if he can win the thoughts, the games that are taking place in our head, if he can win that game, he wins our life. He recognizes that the easiest way to destroy us, to kill us, to, to take away us, God's prized possession, is to attack our mind. The Apostle Paul described it this way to the church in Corinth. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Verse 4, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, these weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds or fortresses or castles or guarded places. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive what? Every thought and make it obedient to Christ. The Apostle Paul knew that for many of us, left unchecked, left without some sort of intentionality behind it, the voices that whisper in our head, we would end up succumbing to them and living to only them. And they would make these fortresses, these places of entrenchment, these places, these castles with walls in our mind that would cause us to live in them forever and ever and ever. And so over the next couple weeks, we're going to identify these strongholds, these fortresses, these castles. Why? Because we cannot defeat what we do not define. We cannot overcome that which we do not name. So we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at the the thoughts in our head of how these places that we have identified the lies of the enemy and allowed them to take root so that we can begin to win the war, the game in our mind and take back our thoughts. And so this week, let's start with what I think is one of the most powerful strongholds that we have in our minds, the stronghold of shame. I remember my very first time to interact with shame. I was a kid and my parents were divorced and so when I would go to my dad's, he had land out and kind of in the country. And I would go spend time with him and he would let me mow the grass as a kid. And he didn't have like a fancy zero turning, but he had this huge lawnmower that like, it felt like you had to have a CDL license just to drive this thing, it was so big. But he would let me drive it. Well, one time my dad spent months and months and months, this was pre-internet, and so he had to buy books and talk to arborists. He had spent months and months and months on making sure he had the perfect trees he needed to plant an orchard. You see where this is going, right? So my dad plants this orchard and these beautiful trees and he allows me to drive the lawnmower and so I'm out mowing and most like most kids, I get easily distracted. And so you see me out there mowing, I'm having fun and I see something and I'm like, oh, what is that, what is that? And then all of a sudden, (laughs) tree is gone. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, that's not good, right? And so I immediately begin to kind of think, what should I do next? Should I go in and tell my father, no, no, that's not the right thing to do. I'm a kid. I have to do something. I need to figure this out. And so I look around and I realize that there was a certain number of trees on this side of the orchard and a certain number of trees on the other side of the orchard. And so my childhood mind, I thought, I'll just make them even. So I drive to the other side of the orchard and find the tree that's directly across from this one, and I eliminate this tree as well. This posed a new problem though, because now I look and there's a tree, nothing, and then three trees on each side. 
And I thought, my dad would never plant one tree, space, three trees, so I'm going to fix this. So I skip. I go tree, space, tree, space. And I take out this one and then move to the other side and take out that one. I go in that evening, and my dad and I are watching Star Trek. That was his favorite show, and so we're watching it together. And he pauses, and he looks over at me, and he says, Son, I have a question for you. I was like, Sure, Dad, what's up? And he said, What happened to the trees in the orchard? And I said, What are you talking about, Dad? That's exactly the way you planted it. (laughs) I was a smart kid, guys. (laughs) But I remember in that moment my dad looking at me and saying, Son, I never thought there'd be a moment in our lives where you would lie to me. And in that moment, I felt something far beyond mere embarrassment, something powerful. I felt shame. I felt like I had failed. I couldn't live up to what he wanted. I was less than he anticipated. I felt shame. So what is shame? There's a famous shame researcher by the name of Brene Brown, and maybe you're familiar with some of her books. She defines shame as this. She says it is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed, and therefore we are unworthy of love and belonging. I'm going to say that again. Let that sink in. It is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed, and therefore we are unworthy of love and belonging. Shame is this intense feeling that there's something wrong with us, that we aren't good enough, that we are less than, that we're just not quite enough. We are inadequate. We are damaged. We are unworthy. For some of us, shame can come from something that we did, like my story. I did something which led to my shame. And that's something for a lot of us. We, we do something in life. We have an action, and it leads to us to feel shame. For some of us, though, shame sometimes can come from something that is done to us, right? Something happened to us. Someone else was involved, and they did it to us, and it makes us feel bad and unworthy and unloved and unforgivable. We feel shame because of that. And you see, for the majority of us, there's kind of two people floating around in our heads. We have these people, and I'm going to use the stage to illustrate this. We have this person on this side of the stage, and let's say this is the person that we long to be. This is the ideal us, the person that we wish we were, the person that we should be, the person that we wish we could be. This is the person that when we think of all the things we want in our life, this is the person, the ideal us. But then on the other side of the stage, right, is the real us the person that doesn't quite live up to that person, the person that falls short, the person that isn't quite who we want to be or should be or could be. The real us is different than the ideal us. And in the middle, in this gap, in this gap between who we think we should be and could be and who we really are, this is where the enemy whispers, shame. This is where we begin to feel that we are unworthy, that we are unforgivable, that we are not good, that we are inadequate. This gap, this space in the middle is where this powerful thing called shame begins to emerge. In fact, shame is so powerful that a famous author, C.S. Lewis, many of you are familiar with him, he said, and I'll paraphrase, he said that shame is so powerful, like it's so powerful that it, more than any other sin and all of our sin combined, is the thing that keeps us from living a happy and fruitful life for God. Shame is powerful. So where does it come from? Where does shame originate? 
If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're gonna be in Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter two, and you can turn there. If you have the Mount app, you can find the scripture references there as well. Or if you're kind of new visiting and you don't have a Bible or an app, you don't have to download right now, they will also be on the screens and you're watching as well. So we are thankful for that. So in Genesis chapter two, while you're turning there, what we see is kind of the end, the, the, the kind of the culmination of all of God's creation, right? So for those of you that are familiar with the story, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the land. He created the the water, he created birds and animals and fish, and God began to create all these things. And then we get to Genesis chapter two, where God creates man, human people. He creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he places them in this garden, this perfect place where he spends time with them, he walks with them, he connects with them, he does life with them, and he puts them there. And we find out in verse 25 what that state is like. Listen to this, in verse 25 of Genesis chapter two, Adam and his wife, Eve, were both naked and they felt no what? They felt no shame. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that scripture says they felt no shame. Of all the pantheon of words that scripture could have used in this moment, it chose to say they felt no shame. Scripture could have said they were naked and they were holy. They were naked and they were confident. They were naked and they were blessed. They were naked and they were righteous. They were naked and felt no fear. They were naked and felt no regret. They were naked and felt no remorse. It could have used any word in the entire dictionary, but it chose scripture. God, in all of his wisdom, chose to say that Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. Verse three, it continues, it picks up, or chapter three of verse one, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. He's crafty, he's cunning, he realizes tactics. He was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, what did he say? Did God really say? He asked a question, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Remember, he's crafty, he's cunning, and he'll do whatever he can to convince us that the mind, the game in our minds is wrong, and he wants us to believe what he says, not what God says. So what does he do? He comes to the woman, he says, did God really say? Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't come to her and say, hey, go ask Adam what God said. Go ask God what he said. No, he doesn't want her to go and check the facts with someone else. No, no, no. He wants her to stay isolated and alone and all by herself in her own thoughts. Why? Because that is where he can win the battle. That's where he knows that he can convince her that maybe she misheard. Maybe it's just a little bit off. Maybe she didn't quite get it right. He wants to stay inside her head and let her sort it out for himself. If you aren't familiar with the story, unfortunately, she falls for it. And she loses this, this battle in her mind, the game in her mind, and she eats the fruit. And what happens in verse seven? I love this. It says, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Humanity, one moment, naked, and feels no shame. And just like that, just in the blink of an eye, they cover themselves up and they're hiding from their creator who made them. Shame is powerful. And here's what's fascinating about shame. Their very first reaction to this shame feeling was to cover up and hide. And it's been thousands of years since then and what are we still doing as human beings? When we feel shame, we cover we hide, we conceal, we keep it inside, we don't share, we don't tell because we hide and don't tell people. We hide from our spouses. 
We hide from our families. We hide our secrets from our kids. We hide it from our coworkers, from the person sitting next to us at church. We hide it from our small group. We hide it from our pastors. We hide it from anyone and everyone we can because we keep it inside because that is where we think we can control it and conceal it, so we hide it. Shame always has and always will cause us to hide and cover up. Verse nine, and I love this, where God shows up. Check this out. But the Lord God called to the man, and what did he say? Where are you? We're gonna come back to this in a minute, but God says, where are you? God, God, God initiates, he comes to them in the midst of their shame, in the midst of their mess up, in the midst of their mistakes, while they're hiding and they're covering and they're in shame, God moves towards them. He moves towards his people. He doesn't let them stay where they are. He initiates and comes to them and says, where are you? Where are you? He answered, he, Adam answered, he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 11, and one of the most kind of saddest questions you will see in all of scripture, in my opinion, God said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that lie? At what point did you believe that? Who told you that their truth was more important than mine? At what point did you elevate their words, their thoughts over what I told you? Who told you? Mind games. God asked them, who told you you were naked? And he wants to know is who they've been listening to. They want to know whose voice, he wants to know whose voice they have been elevating over his own. Notice what God doesn't say. God doesn't come to Adam and Eve in the garden and do the thing that I would do as a parent and say, what did you do? In this moment, God doesn't necessarily care about their action as much. God says, who told you this? He said, we can talk about your actions later. Right now, what I wanna know is whose voice, who told you that lie? Whose voice has become so important that you are listening to it and allowing it to be a stronghold in your life over the voice that I have told you and proclaimed already? Who told you that lie? Church. We all feel shame. Who told you you were too dumb? Who told you you were too stupid? Who told you you were too sinful? Who told you you'll never amount to anything? Who told you that the the addiction in your family will never stop and you'll just continue the cycle? Who told you that there will always be divorce in your family and nothing you do will ever stop that because that's who you are? Who told you that you deserve what happened to you? Who told you that it was your fault? Who told you the lie? Was it a parent? Was it a teacher? What boss? What coworker? What uncle? What aunt? What person told you that lie? Or was it a voice in your head? Who told you that? Who told you that thing that has crippled and paralyzed you for so long? Who created that stronghold in your mind? Shame is powerful. And here's the other thing. Shame can really hit in an instant, can it? Like the example I was thinking of is like men, we can be getting ready with our wives, getting ready to go out somewhere, and we can walk out of, the, out of the, the bathroom dressed, and our wife will be like, is that really what you're wearing? Valid question, right? Because nine times out of 10, we're not dressed properly for the occasion. We're gonna wear this to a black tie event, maybe, or something like that. But what happens in those moments, right? If the, if the enemy whispers in our mind, when she says, is that really what you're wearing? We go to, do you think I'm too stupid to pick out an outfit for this? And two seconds later, she just thinks I'm stupid period. Shame. Just, to, just this past week, uh, my kids, I'm not going to tell you names in this situation because they won't appreciate me sharing this story. Um, they got into an argument right before dinner and one of my kids did something he should not have done to his brother. He, he went too far, he crossed the line and it, it just wasn't good. And so uh, we kind of stopped in the moment and kind of fixed this and his brother came to him and says, hey, I forgive you. 
But this son said, I don't deserve your forgiveness. And so at dinner, when he sat down, we were getting one of them a drink, and we asked the other one, what would you like to drink? And he said, I don't deserve that drink. We said, okay, well, we're gonna have some salad. What dressing do you want on your salad? And he said, I don't deserve dressing because I'm a bad person. Shame can hit in an instant. And here's the other thing about shame. It lurks everywhere. We can wake up in the morning and we can go right to the mirror and the very first thing we think is, man, you really did not get enough sleep last night. Look at you. We get out of the shower after we're dried off and we look in the mirror and we're naked and shame in our mind says, hmm, put on a couple pounds there, haven't you? On the way to work in the morning in the car, we're thinking about that conversation we're going to have with our boss and how well we hope it goes and shame tells us it's not gonna go well. You don't deserve what you're asking for. We're at the office, we're at our cubicle and we're working and we see coworkers talking but they're not talking to us and shame tells us they're talking about you and you're not involved. We get home and on the drive home, we're thinking about how tired and exhausted we are from such a long commute and we get home and we know we need to man up, game up and spend some time with our kids but what do we do? Shame tells us you'll never be a good parent. We go inside and our spouse tells us, hey, that toilet you said you were gonna fix for the past two weeks has still been leaking. And in our mind, we think, man, I'm a mechanical moron. I'm never going to fix this. Shame. It can come from anywhere at any moment. Shame is powerful. We feel shame when we have a family member whose alcoholism is displayed in front of our friends. We have shame because our kids aren't like other kids. Question. What are you ashamed of? What are you ashamed of? What's the thing that causes you shame? Maybe you're ashamed of the debt you've accumulated. You hide it, you don't tell people. In fact, the, you think that it stresses you out so much that you end up going and shopping for more to kind of get over it, and then you come back feeling even worse and worse and worse, and it's this thing in your life that just weighs you down to make you feel like you are unworthy and unforgivable and unlovable. Maybe you're ashamed of the fact that you lie often. You don't know why, you don't know how. They just come out to make yourself look better in certain situations, but you do it over and over and over again. Maybe you are ashamed of the way you look. You see yourself in the mirror and you think, man, how could anyone ever love me when I look like this? Why would anyone ever find me attractive? Maybe for you, years ago, you aborted a child, had an affair, did something sexual, went too far, crossed the line, whatever it was, and you have immense shame over that. Maybe you were the victim of somebody else's actions, but you feel for some reason, right, it's always the victim, you feel shameful for what was done to you, not even what you did. You know it's not your fault, but you feel like it was. You know there's nothing you could have done differently, but in your mind, you're always running the solution of what if this would have happened, what if this would have happened, and you feel ashamed over it. Maybe your dream was to be married, but you're still single, and you feel an immense amount of shame because of that. Maybe your dream was to have this perfect marriage and everything was gonna go great, but you realize right now that you're just roommates living in the same house, and you have shame over the state of your marriage. What are you shamed of? Down in Fredericksburg, what are you ashamed of? Watching online, what are you ashamed of? Here in Stafford, what are you ashamed of? Remember, we cannot defeat what we do not define. We cannot overcome that which we do not name. What are you ashamed of? Define it, name it. Let's put a spot on the board for it. What are you ashamed of? Remember, shame emerges in this, this gap 
between who we should be, could be, want to be, and who we really are. Now, for a lot of us, that gap is where something happens, an event happens, and you're gonna see some stuff up around the screen. This event happens in our life. Maybe we did something, right? We had this ideal version of who we thought we were going to be, and we were trying for this, we were living for this, and all of a sudden, something happened in this gap, and we fall short, and it causes this. This, this is something we did, or it could be something done to us, but there is some sort of event. And this event, more often than not, triggers guilt in our lives. It causes us to feel guilt. Guilt, and we're gonna talk about this in a little bit, Guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. We're gonna come back to that. But sometimes when we have an event in our life that causes us to feel like we are less than who we should be and it's the real us, we feel guilty for what we did. We are saying, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Now, here's the point. When guilt is left unchecked, when we allow guilt to just roam in our head freely, when we allow it to play mind games is when the enemy steps in and begins whispering, hey, that is who you are, which ultimately leads us to a place called Shame. Shame is where we move from I did something to now I am something. We move from I did a mistake to I am a mistake. I did blank. No, no, no. Shame says I am blank. It's in these moments where Satan whispers to us, right? If there has ever been anyone who couldn't make it, it's you. You're hopeless. You're a complete failure. You really messed up this time. God must hate you. He's angry with you, you idiot. Let's, and he begins to kind of just replay this thing over and over and over again in your mind. And he makes you forget just who God is and causes you to think, I am unlovable. And once we get there, the next step is we feel trapped. When we move through an event which leads to guilt, which causes shame, after a while, that shame leaves us feeling trapped. We begin to say things like, I am not enough. There is something wrong with me. I'm bad. I don't have what it takes. And when we begin to get trapped, we begin to isolate. We begin to withdraw, not share it, not proclaim it to anyone else. And so we begin to become isolated. And what are we left with when we're isolated? Much like Eve in the garden, the only thing we're left with is the voices in our head playing games with us, telling us, that's right, you're not good enough. That's right, you'll never move past that. That's right, that is who you are. And therefore, the next time that situation comes back up, we don't think we could ever overcome it. And so we go right back into it and the process starts all over again. Shame is powerful. Shame is tremendously powerful. So how do we begin to break this cycle? How do we begin to leave this place of being trapped in shame? I've got three things for you this morning. First, if you're taking notes, we lean into vulnerability. We lean into vulnerability. When we are ashamed, the funny thing is, right, like when we're ashamed, the thing we fear the most is transparency and vulnerability. But what's interesting and we see in scripture, when we are afraid of most is sometimes what we need the most. And so what we see is when we are afraid of vulnerability, sometimes that's the very thing we need to lean into to move towards so that we can begin to feel a little bit of freedom. It is sometimes the first step towards overcoming the prison of shame. Hebrews 12, one and two says it this way. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. To fight our shame, we need to be vulnerable with people. 
One of the enemy's primary ways of keeping us trapped in our shame is isolation. When we are isolated, his voice has free reign in our minds and his voice becomes the predominant voice that's always talking to us. Remember what he did to Eve? He isolated her. He didn't tell her to go talk to God. He didn't tell her to go talk to Adam. He left her alone and said, get in your head and think these thoughts and think about this. And that is where I want you to stay isolated. And it's funny, in the original Greek language, that phrase, the sin that entangles us, actually kind of contains the idea of being distracted. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is he's saying, listen, we are to surround ourselves with a cloud of witnesses, people who are walking with Jesus with us. We need to be surrounded by those people because by having those people around us, having that around us, we can break the cycle of being distracted by the thoughts that are in our mind. And we can focus on him, Jesus, who is the perfecter of our faith. And some of us, I'll just be honest with us, some of us are so afraid and in shame of things in our lives that it is all we think about. And maybe what we need to do is break that distraction and turn towards other people and begin to be vulnerable and begin to open up and begin to share what's going on. Listen, maybe you're here this morning and you are like feeling some shame in your life. Your tendency, our tendency as human beings is to hide and cover and protect and to hold it all in. Growing up, uh, my mom, and maybe your parents were the same way, we had these Tupperware containers. But back in the 80s and 90s, Tupperware containers, like those Rubbermaid, they weren't clear like they are now. They were always colored. For some reason, ours were always orange. Every house I went to was orange Tupperware containers. But ours were orange, and you couldn't see through them. So my mom, when she was working, she would put food in the fridge for me, and I would go into the fridge as a kid, and I would see these Tupperware containers, like, oh, man, I'm about to get my snack on. And so I'd find one, and I'd pull it out. And what I would do is I would peek in. And I just remember peeking in, you know, kind of lifting up the lid peeking in to see what was in there and then just the stank coming out right like just smelling horrible and bad and not good and so as a typical kid what would I do I didn't go throw it back into the disposal and get rid of it I didn't take it to the trash can no I closed the lid back and I moved it to the back of the fridge so that I didn't accidentally pull that one out next time and then I would move on to the very next one church do you know that there are some things that only grow in the dark certain types of fungus, certain types of mold, and shame. Some of us, we have shame in our life over something, an event that we either did or that was done to us. Maybe, just maybe, we need to drop the fig leaves and stop hiding. We need to pull out the container and take the lid off and stop resealing it and putting it in the back over and over again. And we need to expose it to the light so that the light can kill it. Church, we need to be vulnerable. We need to be vulnerable. Confess your secret. Find a professional counselor in our area. Seek them out and talk to them. Reach out to our care pastor, John. We would love to get you in touch with him. You can talk with him. Tell your spouse, tell your roommate, tell your small group, tell your pastor, tell your neighbor, tell your coworker. I don't care. If they follow Jesus, tell them. Find them in the hallway and tell them because there are some things that until you expose it to the light, it will never, ever heal and move past. But you have been living your life peeking in, saying, I don't want to deal with that right now, and I'm just going to hide it back in the fridge for later. And let me tell you this. It just gets worse and worse and worse when you keep shoving it to the back of the fridge. You need to take that shame out of the container and open it up and stop covering it and hiding it and be vulnerable with somebody. Second, first, we lean into vulnerability. Second, we're going to replace the lies that are in our minds. 
We're going to replace the lies that are in our minds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5, we read this, but I want to read it again. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. How do they demolish these strongholds? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. I was at a conference one time and I heard a speaker. She was talking about baby zebras of all things fascinating. Uh, Most of us think that all zebras look the exact same. Every zebra you see has stripes. Yeah, that makes sense. But she said, no, no, no. Every zebra is in fact very unique. In fact, it's kind of like the uniqueness of a thumbprint. Every zebra has an identifying pattern and markings on it. And she said, what happens is when a mama zebra has a baby, the immediate thing they do is they take that baby zebra away from the herd. And she spends weeks with it just alone. Just getting to know the zebra, talking to it in zebra talk, whatever that looks like, right? Just spending time with this zebra. And then after a couple weeks, she brings the zebra back to the herd. Why? Because now what happens is the moment there's a stampede on the savannah, the moment the grasslands have a fire and chaos ensues, that baby zebra can look up and say, no, no, not the marking, no, 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 yes. I recognize the truth. Church. Some of us, we've been allowing the games in our mind to continue for so long that we think the voice of the enemy is the truth. We need to replace those lies. We need to spend time with Jesus and know his word and know God's word and know who he is so that we can recognize the truth. When the enemy is whispering in your mind, you are not good enough. You're a failure. You're a mess up. You deserve this. When those thoughts enter our mind, we have to stop and ask ourselves, does what I am hearing in my head, does the game that is being played in my mind, does it match up what I think about God's nature and his character as found in scripture? And the answer is yes, then maybe it's conviction. If the answer is no, it's condemnation. And condemnation is not from God. We need to replace the lies. When the voice in your head whispers, you are a horrible sinner. No, no, no. I am a forgiven saint. When the voice in your head whispers, you are broken. No, 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 I'm replacing that. I am made whole in Christ. When the voice in your head whispers, you are unwanted. No, 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 no. I am loved and accepted in Jesus. When the voice in your head whispers, you are not enough. The voice in your head replies back, yeah, I'm not enough. But he who is in me is more than enough because he is good. What lie do you need to replace? What's the lie the enemy has been whispering to you that you are taking as if it is truth? What lie do you need to replace? First, we lean into vulnerability. Second, we replace the lies in our mind. And third, we renew our mind. We renew our mind. Take a look back at this chart we had a minute ago. You had this event that happens, then you have guilt, which leads to shame and leaves us feeling trapped, correct? Now, here's what's interesting. Everything in this chart hinges around this area known as guilt. I said guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. Here's where guilt becomes bad. Guilt actually becomes bad when it is condemnation, when it tells us that we are not good enough, when we can't overcome it, when it begins to attack our identity. That's when guilt is bad. But guilt in the general sense is a good thing because guilt points us to know I have fallen short in something, therefore I need to change. This is where conviction comes in in our life. Conviction is from God and it leads to grace and different things, but condemnation from Satan leads to the opposite. So what happens is when we begin to renew our mind, when we begin to understand and replace the lies, we have an event that leads to guilt and all of a sudden we say, no, 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 that's not my identity because Jesus is already and we renew our mind. 
when our mind is renewed, it leads us to freedom as opposed to being trapped. What voice are you listening to? The voice of condemnation that tells you, no, you're not good enough, that's true? Or the voice of conviction that says, yeah, you messed up, but you can turn, you can change. Romans 12, too, says it this way, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Once you do then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remember, Scripture says that, that, that Satan is the enemy who wants to lie to us and trick us, but Scripture also tells us in John that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and through him we find truth, and truth does what? It sets us free. Conviction leads to freedom. Condemnation leads to death. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. In other words, renew your mind. You have a new identity. Your old self has passed away. While Adam and Eve were hiding and covering themselves with fig leaves, don't miss this. I love this part, right? The enemy wants you to understand, and we're going to come back to that, but the enemy wants you to think, no, 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 hey, that thing you messed up, you're defined by those scars, that shame you carry. Those are your scars, and you are defined by those scars. But Jesus says you are made new. You're not defined by those scars. You are defined by my scars. You are made new. There's this moment in scripture in Genesis 3 where after they're hiding and they're in shame and they're covering themselves, look what it says in Genesis 3.12. It says there, 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Beautiful. They are hiding. They are in the midst of their shame. They are covering up. They are scared. They are worried. They are naked. They are afraid. All of those things. And God comes to them. He moves towards them. He seeks them out. He comes and finds them. And what does he do? He takes away their temporary fig leaves that they think are going to protect them and cover them that really are just full of lies. He gets rid of them and he gives them a new clothing, a new garment, one that is made from him that is much more durable and lasting and sustainable. Listen to me. If you are in Jesus, you are not your old self. You are made new. Renew your mind. You have been clothed with Christ. 2,000 years ago, God moved toward you. He moved towards the cross for you. He rose from the grave three days later for you. He moves towards us. And he came to tell us, not whisper in our ear like the enemy, but to proclaim as loudly as he can from everywhere possible that we are not defined by what we have done. We are to renew our minds. We are not defined by what we have done. Renew your mind. You are not defined by what you have done. Renew your mind. You are not defined by what has been done to you. Renew your mind. You are not defined by what others say. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. Who are you? You are who he says you are. And what does he say you are? He says that you are free. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are changed, you are healed, you are loved, you are redeemed, you are blessed, you are complete, you are chosen. And even in the midst of your guilt, because you make mistakes, we're going to make mistakes, that's fine, but those mistakes should push us back to him, not isolate us in our head where we feel like we are shameful. Even in those mistakes, when we go to him, he says, that doesn't define you, no, 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 that doesn't define you. That shame will not carry you because in me there is no more shame. You are free. You are not defined by him. Renew your mind. Stop listening to the mind games the enemy whispers to you. Your past does not define you. What you did does not define you. 
What was done to you does not define you. You are made new in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you, um, you move towards us. God, so many years ago, you chose in all of your wisdom and all of your glory. You saw us on earth hiding in shame, covering ourselves up, isolating alone, desperate to just keep it secret, and you moved towards us. Romans tells us that while we were still sinners, you came for us, just like in the garden. God, this morning we confess that we are people who carry shame. Just as we continue praying in this moment, I just wanna ask, maybe as a moment of surrender, if you're here this morning, you say, man, Adam, it feels like God is dialing my number. You are right, there is something in my life that I am hiding. There is something in my life that I am ashamed of. And I just want like, I just need to surrender that thing. Let's just all together across all of our campuses and everyone joining online, if that's you, if you say there is something in your life that you feel shame for, that you feel like guilty and dirty for, would you just slip up your hand as an act of surrender? I feel shame, I see hands. My hand is up as the pastor because each and every day there are things that creep up in my life where I feel shame. I wanna pray for those of us that raised our hand and even those of us who are too ashamed to raise our hands. Jesus, I pray for every hand that is living in shame. God, that you would renew our minds, that you would show us your truth and replace the lies that we are stuck with and that you would find us someone to be vulnerable with and to confess. Jesus, thank you. As we continue praying, maybe you're here this morning, and the whole idea of kind of overcoming your shame only happens if you have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe if you were honest, you would say, Adam, I don't have a relationship with him. I'm doing it my way and my own power. And maybe just today for the first time in your life, if you would say, I wanna call out to Jesus to be my Lord, to be my savior, to be the God who comes and comforts me and gives me a new identity. If that's you, just with every eye closed and head bowed, would you just slip up your hand whatever campus you are at? Okay. Father, we are thankful for your grace. And we ask that we would be people who listen to your voice, not the lies in our mind. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.